hope you find it helpful to do this uh, little series on the Purpose Driven Church. And we've come to the last one that we're going to be doing here on a Sunday morning, but I'll explain in a wee while what's going to, how it's going to continue uh, on a Wednesday. But I thought we might just maybe read again those two important scriptures in Matthew 22. We're talking there about the Great Commandment. This is the, the fundamental scripture regarding this particular course. And that's the greatest commandment. It's Matthew 22, 34. Beginning 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with their question. Teacher, what, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Then over at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, 28 and verse 16, says, And the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the end. So sure God will bless these scriptures to us as we think about them. The, the scriptures that we're going to be thinking about today are really just five isolated scriptures but they do belong together as you'll see as we go along but let's just have a word of prayer shall we that's a lovely hymn that we sang there in preparation as a prayer as well for the word but Lord I just want to pray for each of us here today you know the there's sometimes the baggage that we bring to a service like this there are things that go on in family life in relationships in our finances and so many different things and sometimes, Lord, it's hard to concentrate. But we just pray for this time that we spend together. We might concentrate on you and worship you. Help us, Lord, to, to deal with the issues that would bring us down in our faith. And Lord, will you build us up again? Will you lift us up? And just give us a tremendous sense of hope today. But you've got a wonderful purpose for this fellowship and for everybody in it. And we might be able to see you move in, in tremendous ways by the power of your spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for, for your seal upon this work. Lord, for the way in which you have shown us step by step that your favour is with us. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to feel part of that. That this is the church of Jesus Christ. It hasn't got a steeple. It's not a big auditorium. But every person who knows Jesus belongs to the universal Church of Christ. But you want to teach us, Lord, what it means to belong to the local expression of that universal church, the local fellowship. And we ask you to teach us more and more that we'll just feel that we really not only believe, but we actually belong. So help us, Lord, and forgive us all our sins and shortcomings, the things that we have done and left undone, the things that we have said that we shouldn't have said, the times that we've been silent when we should have spoken. Lord, will you forgive us? 
And will you just help us today to honour your name in our thinking, in our speaking, in our working for you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let me just give you a wee resume. You'll be glad to know there's no pens required today and there's no spaces to fill. You'll be glad about that, I'm sure. But just to, to remind you about where we've actually been. We started off on this purpose-driven church talking about the, uh, the surfing, a spiritual life. As we said before, that God wants us to be catching what he's doing by his spirit. What is God saying to the nation? Boys, we need to pray for the Church of Scotland. We need to pray for the Church of Scotland. You know, when I look at the, the trouble with the churches in the book of Revelation, I sometimes say to myself, was that anything compared to what's happening today? And God says, or Jesus says, in the book of Revelation, I will remove the candle from the candlestick. I will remove that light. And I just wonder, you know, where the blessing is. We thank God for these evangelical churches of Scotland. But pray for them. Because they must have a decision to make in their minds. I know that many of them won't want to break away. But I just pray that they would remain faithful to the word of God in the light of what happened yesterday. I won't go into the details, as you probably know. But we want to pray for them. And God's doing something in the nation. Perhaps he's sifting out are people of praise and of power who will move through the land by spirit. And when God does that kind of thing, we need to say, Lord, I recognize what you're doing by your spirit, and I want to be part of that. And it's going to be different from every, for every church. Surfing a spiritual way. What we were actually saying on that first time we met together was, this is the sovereignty of God at work here. Paul says, uh, Paul said, I sowed the seed, Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the increase. And we said that again and again in scripture. It's the sovereignty of God that gives the increase. We're depending on God to give the increase. We're sowing, we're watering, and we're saying, Lord, will you show us your favour and your increase of what you can do in this area. And that's precious and that's powerful. And remember, of course, folk gave their lives for the church of Jesus Christ. They gave their lives. An old polycarp there, 86 years old. 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my Lord and my King? I just can't do it. And so they took polycarp, and they burned him alive at the stake for his faith. And what the Christians went through in those first three centuries under Nero, they were taken and, and dipped in tar and made human torches for his games. There were other places later on where they were thrown to the lions and torn limb for limb and that wee mother who was handed her baby, for the sake of your baby will you not renounce Christ? She said, I'll never renounce Christ. And while they were holding the baby she was thrown into the, into the arena. And the lions came and tore her apart. And we're in a, a long line of those who have given their lives for the church. And I said to you before, you can't mess about with the church. This is something Christ loves. He loves the world. He loves the church. And Paul says, you love me and give himself for me. So surfing a spiritual wave is recognising receptivity. What is God doing today? And you very often find the economic situation, the things that are happening in the world, happening in the church, is that God can use these situations to his glory and advantage. 
So we need to be praying, say, Lord, will you show me what you're doing in your world today and help me to be part of that. No, it's not a case of saying, Lord, I want you to bless what I'm doing. It's a case of saying, Lord, I want you to do what you're blessing. I want to do what you're blessing. That was our first one. The second one was, what drives your church? What is it that really drives your church? Is it tradition, finance, buildings, personality, programs, events? If it's any of these things that drives your church, it's not going to work. Because what's going to drive the church is the purpose of Jesus for his church. It's not going to be tradition, it's not going to be all the other things that we mentioned. It's going to be Jesus' purposes for his church. These things will come and go and churches will die. Perhaps the candlestick will be removed from the, or the candle room for the candlestick. But God's church will march on. Two things the devil can't do. He can't change the destiny of the believer. And he can't change the onward going of the gospel throughout the world. Can't do that. Praise his name. The devil can't do that. We are a purpose-driven church. And that means that without knowing whether the church exists, there's no foundation, there's no motivation, there's no direction. We have to know what God is. We need a clear-cut identity. And that was why last week we talked about a clear purpose. Can you really tell us, somebody might ask us, what is your purpose here as a church? And why do you need to have a clear purpose? Because it builds morale, it reduces frustration, it allows concentration. I go, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> I forgot about that thing. And you can see it allows concentration, attracts cooperation, and it assists evaluation. We were saying that as well. And there's things that we need to do in the next slide. We need to defend, defend that. And define it. Maybe I should be defined actually, rather than defend. We need to defend it as well, but we need to define that. What is the, the clear purpose? And we need to communicate it. Maybe some literature we need to have as a church and say, well, here is our purpose. We want to communicate that with you. And we also need to organise around it. And that's the main theme of today, organising around the purpose of God for his church. And we need to apply it to every part of the church's life. The next slide says we come to these two great passages of scripture. The great commandment and the great commission. And out of that, the next slide, thanks, we have a great commitment to a great commandment and a great commission will grow a great church. Can we just say that together? A great commitment to a great commandment and a great commission will grow a great church. It just seems that Jesus has given us two of the most important passages of scripture as a purpose for the church. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. To love your neighbour as yourself. The next slide, I'll show you how that pans out. To love the Lord your God. How do you love the Lord your God? You worship him. And what did the psalmist say? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let's exalt his name together. i be really worshipping the Lord. Another one, of course, is ministry. To love your neighbour as yourself is to catch on to what's happening in your neighbour's life. To really to be ministering into what's happening in the neighbourhood. To, to know how they're hurting and, and to know how they need the Lord and to minister into that. Then when we go to the Great Commission, we find that the mission is there, to go and make disciples. Very interesting, the, the Greek grammar there. Not, I know you don't want a lesson in Greek grammar. But it actually says, as you go... Make disciples of all nations. As you are going. You don't have to sort of wait and say, Lord, when do I go? But as you go, make disciples of all nations. And then membership, to baptise them. We believe in baptism. 
The Lord's Supper is a command of Christ. So is the command to be baptised. And coming out of that baptism, they got saved, they got baptised, and they were added to the Christian church. We're talking there about a different kind of membership. And we'll speak a bit about that, I'm sure, on a Wednesday evening, or, or Graham will. And then maturity, to, to obey all that I have commanded you, to educate through discipleship, to disciple the saints, to make sure they grow up in their faith. And I think that's maybe as far as I want to go. That's a clear, clear purpose that God has given to his church. And we've come to the, the final one for today. Maybe somebody can help me to, to give these out. Thanks, Graham. Uh, thanks. That's thanks, Jim. Uh, and we're actually talking here about something that's very, very important to us. How to organise around our purposes. And you'll see the first of the scriptures uh, on there. Uh, the next one, actually. Yeah, thanks very much. You'll see the first of the scriptures that we have here is Luke chapter 5 and verse 38. That new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Don't if you realise how wine was stored in those days. It wasn't in bottles. It was in, uh, would it be leather? Would it be some kind of animal skin? And the wine would be poured into that. And the wine would be fermenting. And what happens after a while, the, the skins get hard. And if you keep putting new wine into these hard skins, what happens is when it ferments, the skins just break and you lose the wine. And so Jesus is really saying there in Luke chapter 5 that new wine needs new wine skins. And if God's doing a new thing by his spirit, if God is working in us, then the vessels that he uses have to be new vessels, a new creation in Christ. And he can do that, he can pour in them. I wonder how many of you have ever heard of a man called George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a great preacher of the 19th century and he was also contemporary with John Wesley. Now many of you will have heard of John Wesley, perhaps not so many of you will have heard of George Whitfield. They were contemporaries of each other, greatly used by God. They differed wildly in their theology and personality and the way that they organised their ministry. Whitfield was known for his powerful preaching. I never knew this. In his lifetime, he preached over 18,000 sermons. Did you know that? Averaging about 10 a week. Now, it's bad enough trying to get three sermons every week. But to get uh, 10 every week. Did you know that he spoke to nearly 100,000 people outside of Glasgow? I never knew that. He preached to over a hundred thousand people outside of Glasgow. And yet if you take the life of George Whitfield we find that not many people have heard about George Whitfield and what happened afterwards because there wasn't the same structure in place after Whitfield's preaching as there was in John Wesley. If I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, I, I think it's said that John Wesley travelled 4,000 miles on horseback over his ministry, his life's ministry. I think I'm right in saying that, but 4,000 miles he travelled on horseback. And he preached powerfully as well. That coming out of the preaching of John Wesley was the class meeting. He was the first one to introduce house groups. And he made a, a structure, and that structure became the church that we all know of as the Methodist Church. 
Now the Methodist Church may be not doing so well these days because my, my, my least relations are all from Yorkshire. And there's a Methodist Church in every wee village that you go to. And sometimes there's about 10 or 12 in London. One or two of them are doing really well. But they've come from John Wesley. And they've lasted all that time. And people remember where Wesley, John Wesley was one of 17 children. You know that? 17 kids. Poor wife, Suzanne Wesley. She must have had a... The husband was a minister. And you know that... And, and the man said they were... The man sweating fire. And John Wesley just managed to get out with the skin of his teeth. To be rescued from the, the fire in the manse. But God had a powerful fire for this man. And Wesley preached his way through the UK and, and did a tremendous work by the power of the Lord, the Spirit of God. And so these were the men. And because of Wesley's structure afterwards, the, the class meetings, the house groups, that church survived. And many people remember John Wesley, whereas George Whitfield may be in the past there. But we're going to learn how to build a structure, how to organise around the purposes of God. The truth is that most, most evangelical churches are doing something of the five purposes we mentioned. You'll agree with that? We're all trying to, every church is trying to do something on the line. The problem is, it may not be an equality and a balance of emphasis on each of the areas. I mean, I mentioned before that sometimes if it's a personality-driven church, that personality's likenesses or weaknesses become the churches, whatever that person is. And what you actually find is if it's not balanced, you find that there's various churches called the soul-winning church. I know they're not called that. I'm only just using that as an expression. The soul winning church is a, an evangelistic church. When you go to the soul winning church, you expect to hear the gospel and people get saved. Now the church cannot be all that at the end of the day. And then there's the experiencing God church. That's the church where you go and you really get into worship and there's prayer and everybody's high as a kite. <laughs> Maybe not quite. But it's the worshipping church. You experience God there. But there's no much in evangelism. What about the family reunion church? That's where everybody has fellowship over a cup of tea and there's a wonderful sense of fellowship. Well that's good. But the church can't be all that. And then there's the classroom church. That's just another name for saying there's teaching here. This is strong teaching in the world. This is the uh, reform teaching we have in this particular church. And then there's the social conscience church. That's the one that deals with injustice and society, takes a stand on things. And you find that there are, there are some churches into that. Now all of these have their place. But the church cannot just be one of these. There has to be that balance that comes through. And the problem is where churches have leadership, especially pastors perhaps, I don't know, who only want to major on one of these. That's up on the Chris, and praise God, Chris didn't do that. He's an evangelist, but he did a lot of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and various other things. And that was very, very precious to the church here. Much conflict exists in a church where church calls a pastor whose gifts and passions don't match what the church has been in the past and that kind of thing. So what, how are we going to get the balance? Then? How are we going to go from there? And the answer is in these, what they call the circles of commitment. And you'll see them there in your sheet. These circles of the commitment. And in these circles of commitment, you'll see that on the outer circle there, you'll see the outer circle, you've got the community there. And that's where it's going to begin, isn't it? 
But many churches don't begin there. They say, well, we've got this wee core here and we're quite uh, happy with what we've got. Don't disturb our comfort zone. But the outer circle, you're actually going there from the uncommitted. If you look at the circle at the bottom there, if you, if you trouble number one at the bottom with number one at the top, the community, the community, the unchurched. Do you get that? Understand that? That outer circle is the unchurched. And somehow we're going to begin there. And Rick Warren, who drew up this purpose-driven church, uh, they, they just they didn't have a church to begin with. It's an amazing story. And he goes round with five questions on the doors, and he said, "Now, uh, what is the, the need in this area? Could you tell us a need? And if the church was going to mean something to you, what would the church be like? Various questions like this." So he decided to have a, a wee sort of a trial run before Easter Sunday. On Palm Sunday, he said to a group of folks, well, let's have a, have a go at it. A hundred and odd people came. Yeah, he said, we haven't got started yet. It's next, next Sunday. Oh, no, we're coming just now. Because we can see where you're, where you're coming from and where you're going. They actually started a week before they started. If you get a drift. And so Easter Sunday came and, and they formed a church coming out of what the Lord was saying to them about their community. They started from the community and they worked their way through. And, and somehow we've got to say to ourselves, what is that community going to be like and what are the needs of that community? The unchurched that we want to reach. A community, a community is where evangelism takes place. It's the largest circle because it contains the largest number of people. That community out there. We should clarify where the community can also mean. It can mean the unchurched or it can mean the occasional visitors to a church. Sometimes through a funeral. Sometimes it's a marriage. Sometimes we are a child. And people come into a church. But the unchurched are there. And then if you see the next one is the crowd. Number two is the crowd. And the crowd are those who have come out of the community and they dare to come in. <laughs> It's a big thing to come to a church for the first time. I never realised how difficult that could be. And Danoon, our church was up the stairs. Down the stairs was a coffee shop. And we would talk to people at the coffee shop. And we'd say, how about coming? And there's this wee man, he's a, a lovely, lovely Christian man. He, he wasn't a Christian then. Peter. Peter said to his wife that at church there in Danoon they want us to go and, and worship there and his wife said well I'm not feeling too well he said well I'll go myself and he, he told us in his testimony how difficult it was to climb those stairs up the stairs and to come into the sanctuary for the first time we don't realise how difficult it can be for somebody to come for the first time and we need to have, we could go with them, or we had to welcome them, and, and that's important. So the, the community becomes the crowd. The crowd are those who come, and they are committed to attendance. You'll find that people come out of that community, and they want to attend the church, and that's good. And then you come to the third category, which is the congregation. Coming out of that crowd are those, I, I want to take this further. These are those who are, are committed to partnership. Some would say they're committed to membership. Whatever that means, and we're going to explain that, I'm sure, as we go through in the Wednesdays. But we need to have folk coming out of the crowd to say, well, I really want to commit myself to this church, to this fellowship. Will you show me how? 
How can I be really involved in this church? How can I be not only believing but belong? How can I belong here? I don't know how many folks have been asking that question. It's a question we need to ask. How can I belong to this fellowship, to this group of God's people? And so we find that the congregation is so important. And then, of course, there's the committed as well. And by the committee, the, the congregation are committed to the purpose of the fellowship. But here we have the committed. And here we have these committed who say, I want to take things fully. I want to have a godly life and a growing Christian life. There are those who belong to a congregation who are members, but are not fully committed. You ever notice that? They may be committed at the beginning, but they're not fully committed. And they say, I really need discipleship. I've not just come to belong here. I really want to be led on to discipleship, to follow Christ, and do all that kind of thing. And that is so, so important in the Christian life. It has to do with having a daily quiet time. It has to do with the giving that we give to the church. It has to do with being active in our studies on a Wednesday, whatever the group might be. It has to do with being committed, not just to be here on a Sunday, but being committed to growing as a, a believer and so there has to be that other category, the community to the crowd, the crowd are those who are attenders the crowd to the congregation, the congregation are those who say, I, I want to take things further, I want to belong to this place, and then we go from the committed to the core and the core are those who say, I really want to minister in this place I want you to show me how I can use my gifts, how I can minister to other people, how I can serve the Lord in the gifting that he's had. Now Chris has had the shape thing, which is so important, helping us to shape out. But again, as we go through this on a Wednesday evening, I'm sure you'll discover many other things. And this last bit of the core has to do with those who are in leadership, who did the Sunday school, the youth leaders, whatever the church might have. And, and, they, and without them, the place would come to a standstill. There has to be that core of leaders who see the work progressing and who take it on further. And that's so important. But we need help to find out what our ministry might be. So we've just been looking at five levels of commitment. And we're saying to you, did Jesus ever underline these? Did Jesus ever have anything to do with that? And that we believe here that Jesus had, look at the very bottom of the page, that Jesus ministered to the community. He fed the crowd. He gathered the congregation. He challenged the committed. He discipled the core of them. Is that not true? Jesus' ministry was doing that kind of thing. These five tasks were evident then in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the first encounter that Jesus had, maybe you see it there is John, maybe I've just moved on there. John's gospel chapter, this one here. Where are you staying? John and Andrew said. Now Christ did not say to these beginning disciples, now just sit down and we'll have a course on the, the purpose driven church. Or just sit down there and I want to speak to you about command. Jesus said, look, come and see. And that's the way Jesus works. You don't come heavy upon somebody who's just new and, come on, just come and see us. Come along and join us for a Sunday. Come along on Wednesday night. 
And that's what Jesus did. When he, and John and Andrew spoke to him, Jesus said, just come and see. And they came and they saw. And they liked what they saw. And Jesus worked in that particular way, and that's really tremendous. Then later on, you go to the next one of the Matthew, Mark chapter 8 and 34. He said, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here Jesus is coming to the crowd. He speaks to the crowd in this, this time. He's speaking to the crowd and saying, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now taking up the cross has nothing to do with your rheumatic pains. Now, I know the rheumatic pains and all the, the physical hurts that you may have can be like a cross that you have to bear. But that was not what Jesus was meaning. The cross is a place of death. And he's talking about the old self of your life and mine. And you get the nails and the hammer, so to speak, and you nail the old self to the cross. If you want to, de- you want to follow me, to Jesus, you, d- you deny self, you deny the old life, and you take up your cross and you follow me. It's a place of crucifixion of the old life. So Jesus is getting, he's coming into the crowd here. He's he's looking for commitment. And you can see that in that verse of scripture there. But you know, for others who are maybe on the early stages, the next verse is is Matthew 11, 20. He will say, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Just come to me. So to some folk, Christ will say, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up the cross. There's a commitment involved here. To others, you'll just say, I understand where you're at. Why don't you come to me and have rest? Maybe there's all kinds of turmoils going on in your life this morning. And this is the verse for you. You just come to me, said Jesus. I want to give you rest. Why don't you just walk with me as a double yoke, as it were? Don't go ahead of me or behind me. That's painful if you're two oxen and you've got an older one beside a younger one, and one goes to one, one goes to the left, another goes to the right. That's painful. Just walk in steps, says Jesus. Don't go ahead of me or behind me. Just walk with me. Maybe that's the word that the Lord wants to bring to you this morning. So Jesus takes into account that people have different cultural backgrounds, understanding and different levels of commitment. And these five circles are different levels of commitment from the uncommitted right to the very core without whom the church does not move. The fully, fully committed to the ministry of the church. The different levels of commitment. And we mustn't confuse what we do with the community and the crowd with what we do with the core. Each group requires a different approach. A crowd is not a church, but a crowd can become a church. We need to organise our church around the five purposes mentioned in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And then we need to identify people in the church, in the commitment for the purposes that God has given to us. Now we were using the circles of commitment as a strategy. Sometimes people would try and grow from the inside out. That's not should be. If you look at the other side of this little sheet, you'll see there a summary. And the summary is quite clear. Begin by moving the unchurched from the community to the crowd for worship. I'm sure Graham will agree with me. Worship can be powerful. It's interesting the difference between Bill Hybels of uh, Willow Creek, a massive, great, great big church, and Rick Warren, great, great big church. Bill Hybels say, let's not have much worship. Let's have a kind of performance up front. And it's worked to a certain extent. Rick Warren says, let's have plenty of worship. Worship can be powerful. 
So he's actually saying moving the unchurched from the community to the crowd for worship and then move them from the crowd into the congregation for fellowship. Do you understand what membership really means? Then move them from the congregation into the committee for discipleship. And then from the committee into the core for ministry. And finally, what do you do with the core? You move them back to the community for evangelism. And so the whole five are being catered for. You've got your worship, your fellowship, your discipleship, your ministry, and your evangelism. Fulfilling the five purposes of the church. Now nothing works in church life exactly like that. But that's where you're going. And we need to define that. We need to communicate it. We have to organise around it. And that's why you need to be there on Wednesday. Because we're taking this whole thing, we're taking these five circles out of the Sunday morning service. And it's going to be on a Wednesday night. And we want you to share. We want you to tell us, how do you think you can reach the community? How do you think the community can become a crowd? How do you think the crowd can become a congregation? What in the world is membership all about? You'll get help along that way. And for membership, how do you really get committed? What is this discipleship business? And from discipleship, how do I minister in this place? You don't want to miss Wednesday evenings, starting next Wednesday. And Graham's going to take you through that. Can I tell you a wee story from this week? I was doing my visiting this week and I came across this, came this, visiting this man in the church. He's a lovely Christian. I'm sure Kathy and Bill will probably know who, who he is. I won't mention his name, but a lovely Christian. And, and he's having some terrible physical troubles. He's got Parkinson's. And perhaps a wee bit of dementia setting in. And I went to see him and he's a, he's a, a great witness for Jesus. His life has been sharing the gospel personally. A bit like my wife, other people. I mean, this guy's a bit like my wife. I've got to the bus stop. I've got to go for the bus. And he say, who's can I witness to? <laughs> who's here? <laughs> but anyway, he's a bit like that. He, he and my wife have gone really great. And, and there he is. And he said to me, Alec, he said, I've, been to the, I've got all these clinics to go to. One of those from, from my memory. The other one, he says, I've got to draw, try and draw a straight line. And that'll probably be for, for shakiness. He said, you know what I did? He says, uh, the last one there, he said, uh, they said, they, they said to me, draw a straight line. And I, I drew a line. He says, it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. Got a good line. And they said to him, put some words on the line. The way he put, Jesus loves you, this I know. And he said to the, the lady who was there, the nurse, whatever her name was, he says, it should be Jesus loves me, but I know he loves me. But I want to tell you, he loves you. I say, that's precious. That's just wonderful. Here's a man struggling with Parkinson's and trying to draw a straight line and put some words on the line. Would you have thought, put Jesus loves you. This I know he loves me. You know he loves you. And that's, that's the word that God's going to give you today. That Jesus really loves you. He loves his church. But Paul could say he loves me. And he gave himself for me. Take that into your heart. And I, I think there's exciting times ahead. I think on Wednesday evening as Graham takes us through these five circles. And you get the chance to come back and say, well, I think 
we can do this in the community here. And we can take notes. We can't do them all. The coffee shop, it's just wonderful being there. I gave a man soup without a roll. I said, uh, I said, did you find anything missing today? He says, I'm a roll. I said, I'll get the one for you. Oh, he says, forget it, you know. The things that I do over there, you know, whatever, right, when you get older. But it's just great getting alongside folks. And it's just great to see that. The community is coming to us in that coffee shop. And I'm sure there's lots of things God wants us to do. Not maybe lots, but some things God wants to do in an evening with that screen and that projector. You just think of it with parenting. Can we help you with parenting? Come on, I'll leave you going out. And I've got the I've got the DVD with Rob Parsons on, on parenting and marriage, a separate DVD. The things that we could do in the community. You can come up with some other thoughts, but we're going to be talking about. Uh, I'm sure Jane will be Graham will talk about how Jesus fished and various other things that he did. Let's have a prayer. We thank you, Lord, for these four weeks that we've had, just just learning what the purpose-driven church is all about. And Lord, forgive us when we haven't had much of a purpose. Or perhaps we've even kind of lost it or, or laid it aside or need to revisit it. And we thank you, Lord, for the things you've been sharing with us. To surf a spiritual wave. To recognise what you're doing in this country, even through the Church of Jesus Christ. And we pray for the Church of Scotland, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you will have mercy upon them as they come to a decision that's so much against the word of God. And will you help these evangelical churches to stand up and be counted? We thank you for that minister from Lanarkshire, Lord, that stood up and preached against it. Lord, will you protect, protect him? And will you use him to cause others to stand up and be counted? And we want to be a church that will stand up for what is biblical and what is balanced. And help us have a balanced approach to all five of these things, but all of them are important, and show us how we can do that without having everybody worked off their socks, as it were, without having anybody in stress. We ask you, Lord, to give us your guidance for the steps ahead, even one step at a time. And we thank you for the coffee shop and for the members of the public that are coming in there. We ask you, Lord, to give us the, the volunteers that we need, that we might do the work with excellence. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.